once I decided I have to be this person that it's inhuman to be, but I think I have to be it. I made that an absolute goal. And at the point that it became an absolute is where my perfectionism was born. Now I had to be this no matter what in order to be okay. Anything less or other than that was not okay. And then I hated myself for it. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is uh, Dr. Alan Berger. Thank God for emotional sobriety. We could start out with that today, you know. This is it's so relevant during this holiday season, and you know, and today we're going to talk about the perfectionism issue, but in the shows to come, we're going to talk about how this thing shows up in the holidays too, man. Also with us is our wonderful producer, Patrick Newman. How are you doing, Patrick? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm uh, full of pie and the desire to clear away the wreckage of my past. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> he said the wreckage of your past in terms of... Are you talking about wreckage of your past of the last few days of the holiday <laughs> eating or? <laughs> oh, thankfully, no. Thankfully, no. This is, uh, you know, long gestating damage. Uh, OK, this is this is the big stuff. OK, this year we decided that we were going to eat a turkey that we saw grow up down this road from us. So we're out in farm country. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and right. <laughs> there's this 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 farm down the road that does some amazing stuff. They're wonderful. It's a co-op. Ninety percent of the food grown in animals that are slaughtered there are given to food kitchens to feed the homeless. And in fact, on Wednesday and Thursdays, you can go volunteer for the whole day and go help out at the farm. They take any volunteers. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool thing. So th- this year we decided we're going to support it. I haven't mm-hmm. been able to get over there to volunteer. That's on my list of things to do. But, um, you know, so we decided they raised these organic um, turkeys that are mm-hmm. grown out in the field. They eat grain and insects and they run wild. And free turkey. range. Yeah. Free range turkeys, right? Well, a free range turkey is very different than a store-bought, hormone-fed, you know, really? turkey. Oh, yeah. it's it's the first of all, the bird itself, because it's out inactive all the time, has a lot of muscle in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that big white piece of breast meat that I've come to enjoy over the years mm-hmm. from my butterball turkeys that I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, here it's Giant Foods back in L.A. Yeah, it was yeah. or something like that. So it was a very, very, not, not saying it was bad. It was a different experience. The, the meat was delicious, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really very, very tasty, but it was a very, there wasn't like that big, big, big white breast to carve. There was a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, 
different kind of meat on this bird, which was which was a different experience, different one. Before we move on from this, I, I need to be sure and go back and repeat my favorite part uh, so that it doesn't get lost in the conversation. And that is, hey, this year we decided to do something different. Oh, yeah. What was that, Alan? We decided to eat a turkey that we knew personally. Tom, <laughs> <laughs> grow up. I mean, every day we drive, we drive by pass. I swear to God, every day we said, what, what is he setting up out there? He saw these little baby, these little baby turkeys. And we saw them grow up for the whole time. And then we decided to have one for for. Oh my God, I'm crying. I don't know that I'll be able to do the rest of this episode, but I'm going to try. Well, you know, one, one thing I did that I'm grateful for is the day after Thanksgiving, I went to an AA meeting out here in Maine, Belfast, Ooh. Maine. And How was uh, that? it was good. And I, I think those are the meetings that I really get a lot out of is after the holiday and kind of after those that are participating, I've had a little, a few hours to, settle in to whatever it was that happened good or bad from the previous day. And, uh, just, you know, it's, it's the, it's been so easy to get alienated, uh, these last couple of years and, uh, the frequency of my meeting attendance has gone way down. So I wanted to be sure while I was uh, out here that I got a, you know, feel for the local, uh, recovery. We are in the holiday, so let's just do a little intro to, to the holidays here. First of all, to, to, for people listening, is that to me the, the holidays are are magnifying glass. It's like whatever whatever is good is absolutely wonderful, and whatever is not so good is can really suck, you know, worse than ever. Um, and for some people, there's reunions that are wonderful, and then other people, I I call them, uh, you go back to your family for the brainwasher refresher course, you know, just in case you forgot how you got to be nuts. You go back and and you see you, you sit in some of the dysfunction and you deal with that stuff, and you and you can have. I certainly did in my day was was uh, have the feeling that I'm losing some of my sanity when in fact I was just experiencing some of the insanity of my family. Um, but anyway, I want people to, to know that, you know, that, that things are, it's normal for it to be rough during this holiday. If it is rough, it's, if it's not, it's wonderful. Be grateful for that. But if it's, uh, but we, we always encourage you, even if it's a tough time to, to look for a way to be grateful for what you can learn from it and uh, reach out and get support. That's the most important message during this time of year. In the vaccination, we would offer you. This will be your booster <laughs> shot. Will be emotional <laughs> sobriety, <laughs> three point because it really does operate like that. But just like our booster shot, we're now finding there's another variant to this damn, you know, tenacious COVID virus, right? <laughs> and that they're talking about that the vaccination may not be that helpful with. But just like with emotional sobriety, there's going to be challenges that are going to come up for you that even though some of the tools you've been using up to this point won't work, it doesn't mean that if you hang in there and keep searching, you won't find some kind of a solution. And that's what we encourage you to do is just, just don't give up when things get real tough. Hang in there and continue to be open to, you know, the discovering the solution because sometimes they come while you're sleeping at night. You're going to go to sleep one night and you're going to sleep with a dilemma on your mind. You're going to wake up with a new perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, and this is, I don't know if you, you tell me if this is y'all's experience. For some reason, what I've noticed through the years uh, is, is that people have a, a bit of a, people who tend to reach out for support 
as a normal part of their recovery tend to do that to be less likely to do that during the holidays uh sometimes because the the, the stuff is a little bit heavier but sometimes uh, sometimes i think it's because of, of our own codependence of, i don't want to disturb somebody else's holiday or whatever that is so so we just want to say that as we do the holidays you know whenever you're hesitating to reach out for support from somebody else just turn it around and think you know how do you feel if somebody reaches out to you for support and and just go ahead and assume that that person is is going to feel the same way. It's a good fee. It's a good feeling when somebody reaches to, reaches out for support. And you know, and sometimes we can feel it. It's, it's really easy to feel inadequate. I've always said it's easier to be a therapist than it is to be a, just a support person. You know, because a lot of times it's just, in those situations, it's like I'm, I'm I'm more likely to just kind of not know what to say and need just to be able to be there with somebody, which is even sometimes emotionally more difficult. It's like just to say, you know, you know. That really sucks what you're experiencing, uh, but I'm right here and you can check in with me again later if you need to, that kind of thing. So don't don't hesitate to reach for support. Obviously, that's that's my broken record for today. And our Thursday night emotional sobriety open 12 step mm-hmm. meeting will still be here and we'll be running through the holidays. And we had a nice turnout for people and we really talked about gratitude. And so all of all of that, the the ID and password Patrick will list in the in the show notes for today as well as how to listen to the the um, other, or how to watch the other um, discussions we've had in that Thursday night meeting. Because mm-hmm. that, that last one on gratitude, I thought was really, really helpful to a lot of people, mm-hmm. Tom. We had a lot of participation. Oh, I, I love it. And, I, you know, not surprising to me was it was a, a discussion on gratitude that wasn't, there was no namby-pamby in it. There wasn't it just, the, you know, sometimes you can get into gratitude and it just kind of everybody get, you know, elevate and get out of the, 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 the reality of life. And, but it's not, it's like, it's the, the real challenge of emotional sobriety is with gratitude is, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we work gratitude? How do we feel gratitude? How do we perceive what to be grateful for in the, in the midst of the, of the messy world we live in? You know, now that I have, um, you know, uh, now for a long time now, I've had a three-year-old yeah, yeah. and now Maddie's eight in my life. I've been watching a lot of Disney movies. Mm-hmm. And when Inside Out came out, I mean, I thought the psychological wisdom inherent in that movie and the way they yeah. showed that the intrapsychic landscape, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. different self parts in. And I love that they had, uh, what's his name? Um, the actor um, Black. Um, Louis uh, Black. What is it? Lewis Black play Lewis anger. Black. He was anger, right? He was ah, perfect. perfect. He's, the only, he's the only man to do it. Perfect. He was a perfect guy to be in that role. Well, they've just released this week Encanto, which mm-hmm. is the new Disney movie. And it was all about perfectionism. I say the name and of the I'm, movie again. Encanto. E-N-C-A-N-T-O. Okay. In Canto. So it was about this this family in Latin America, I believe it took place, um, or somewhere in South America. And they go through this hardship. And when they're on the brink of, of the darkest day in the world, all of a sudden this magic happens. And it creates this incredible world for them to live in, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the one lady who's the grandmother, the the kind of the maternal um, leader of this whole family, right? Um, 
she unwittingly, and it was unintentional, it wasn't done out of any bad intention. And I really hope people can get that when they see the movie. She wanted things to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And she kept pressuring all of the children that were born to perfectly play their role in the family. Mm -hmm. And their roles were different things because each child in this family, when they became of age, they were granted a certain magical gift. Mm -hmm. Every child's gift was very, very, very special. But she had an idea of how that gift was ideally supposed to be manifested in the family. And the more pressure she put on them to be what she thought they should be, quote, unquote, the more the magic started to die. And now in this magical house, and this house was so cool, I mean, it did everything for you. I mean, it played with the kids. It, I mean, it, this house was so neat. I want to grow up in a house like that. <laughs> As the more and more pressure she put, the more and more cracks started. And at the heart of this thing was this magic candle. Mm -hmm. And the more and more pressure she put for people, the magic flame was dying more and more and more. To the point where it had to be completely deconstructed for them to discover how to get the magic back. It was phenomenal. So now you got to hear that part of it. How did they get the magic back? I just want to say the writers have done some really good therapy, no doubt. Oh my! <laughs> whether God. they did that through whether they did that through official therapy or just whatever personal growth, that's oh. somebody who understands personal growth. Well, and I'll tell you, and one of the one of the key figures in this movie was this was a member of the family called Bruno who had disappeared, and he really hadn't disappeared. He was just behind the walls in the house trying to keep up the image of perfection because he because the because he saw that that it was going to destroy the family if if that image wasn't kept up so he was behind the scenes trying to patch the cracks wow i mean it's so cool this movie is so cool so they go through this whole thing and the one person where this thing starts to change is the little girl that when she went up to the magic door to be given her her gift of magic, mm -hmm. there was no gift of magic. So she was normal. She had no magic. Well, it turned out Bruno was behind the scenes of that because her magic gift was somehow to see beyond the perfection. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't let that exist. So he undermined her gift of her, her gift her magical gift, thinking that that would keep this family intact, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't, of course, because the disease process was already in play. The perfection mm -hmm. was eating away. The curse of perfection was destroying this family. And then this, through this little girl's courage, I mean, and it was so great. You know, the one person who was judged as a problem in this whole thing actually was the savior of this whole family. Always the truth teller. Yeah. And always. She was the truth teller, man. Mm -hmm. And in the end, what brought the magic back was to celebrate each person as they were yeah. and who they were and not to put an expectation on them, but to enjoy them and, and celebrate them as they are.
And as soon as they got that, guess what happened? The whole community came together, built the house again, and the magic came back. Mm -hmm. Everybody was who they were supposed to be, not supposed to be, but who they were instead right. of being who they were supposed to be. It was so frigging cool. I mean, <laughs> well, the, the, the joy that Patrick and I get is, is not only just to hear you, then people can hear that in your voice, but to watch you tell the story. I think what we would have said today before I saw this movie is mm -hmm. one way to, to get rid of this curse of perfection is to realize what a big lie it is. Yeah. It doesn't exist. No. You were touching right. on that last week. It doesn't exist, but it's a myth. It's the biggest myth that that's been perpetuated because so much emphasis is put on everything being perfect. Right. And everything being exactly the way it's supposed to be and stuff in our culture and the emphasis on the perfect performance. What do you want? All tens. If you're a gymnast, you know, all of this mm -hmm. thing that somehow we see that is the ideal. You know, I've talked a few, several times with you, Alan, and some on the podcast about how, how much more uh, how much more I, I have appreciated my very first book, Simple Truth, since we started all this and realizing how amazing it is that so much of this is there. And on the, the very the very first cover, it was in the first edition of it. I what I remember I chose to put on the back cover it was one little nutshell, which was perfection. Perfection is not even one of our options. What a relief. And, and it's like it's like I had many people look at me and say, I don't think people are going to know what that means, but I just loved it. And, and it's like and, and I still do. And it's like and that's what you're describing here. It's like it's not it's not an option. It's and, and, and more. It's a it's a lie that's, that, is, that it's a possibility. Um, yeah, it's it's um, when could we you guys, uh, could you guys delineate, you know, going off of what you're saying, um, because you guys work hard on your um, on your craft and your practice and your books. Um, so how do you delineate from your drive to excel at uh, those endeavors and the oppressive perfectionism that would be unhealthy and kind of unravel those attempts? Well, first, first of all, first of all, the the perfectionism, which is which is ultimately, you know, and, and, uh, uh, takes can take the form of my should monster Alan's, you know, anger, anger. Uh, that's not a dragon. What is that? That's a that's a dinosaur that you have that you use to represent. I love that. It's like. You know, right. it's that it, it actually it actually works the exact opposite way. I mean, that 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 uh, that belief that there's a possibility or us buying it, you know, the way we say it, if we're separating from if we're differentiating ourselves from the perfectionist voice, if we to the degree that we buy into it, that we're supposed to be shooting for perfection. Um, and basically what that was for me always was no matter what it was, it wasn't good enough. You know, if, if, if it was this, then it should have been that. And if it was, if it was, if it was that it should have been sooner or whatever, it was always the way. And what I, what I believe, one of the things I think is most important to believe and to actually, actually even maybe fake it till you make it is to know that, that that not only is not the, the best way to, to move forward, that's paralyzing. I think we talked about that a little bit last time too. That's, that does the opposite. It stops you. It's, 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 it's understanding that's that whatever we're trying to do, whatever, whatever, version of success we want to have or what do we want to accomplish is going to come from trial and error, multiple, multiple failures. Uh, it's, and that, and we measure it to me, the most important thing to suggest to people that they're listening to the correct voice is, is that the, the, and I mean, the most effective voice that that's that authentic voice inside that says, are we, what are we learning? 
Yeah. And if we're learning, then we're growing. Yeah. And if we're, you know, and if we're growing and, you know, and in my experience is, I'll bet the same is true for you guys is very seldom has something have I ever set out to, to, to create something. And when I got there, it turned out to be what I thought it was going to be anyway. So part of it's being open to the bigger process and realizing, you know, that's, that's, I, I'm not even, I'm not even in charge of what this is going to be. I, I'm going to go with it. The amazing mathematical formula for pain that when we are in our perfectionist stuff, we are asking, we're buying into the idea of we're supposed to be doing, accomplishing something on a daily basis that is beyond human capacity. And that's ultimate self-victimization. And the difference between my expectation and my level of competence in any time, that's the mathematical formula. It's the only mathematical thing I know. The difference between my expectation, think of it as a graph of the, the expectation line and the, and the line of where I'm functioning today is the, the amount of pain I'm in. You know, and so what we what we teach people is is you bring that line of expectation. This is and this is so much emotional sobriety, Alan. This is, I had done written this a long time ago, and when you're talking about expectation, I just go, oh, that's it. It's like you bring that line of expectation down closer, as close as you can to the line of your competence of today. That's determined by more variables than we can count. It's like, and then the energy is freed up for us to get better. And to be able to be productive and to do what we need to do. It's, it's like the idea that we have to get our level of competence always up to our, our line of expectation is draining and painful. And, and it will, it will, it, it at least slows us down, very often stops us in our tracks. And I have said this many, many times, and I'll just, you know, piggyback onto what you're saying, Tom, because I think that early on, that we came up with this idea uh, that of who we were supposed to be to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it just is exactly what you said. So we set this bar and that bar is set. It's an impossible goal. It's, it's, it's above it's a, there's, if there's a line of demarcation that says human capacity, it's above that. It's above that line in, and, and mm -hmm. what it is, it's, it's, it's what Bill called the imp an impossible way of life. Once I decided I have to be this person that it's in, inhuman to be, but I think I have to be it. I made that an absolute goal. And at the point that it became an absolute is where my perfectionism was born. Now I had to be this no matter what, in order to be okay, anything right. less or other than that was not okay. And then I hated myself for it. What you just also described is another from another angle. It's addiction. It's like it's like we become addicted to it. And that means we have to have it. We have to have it. We have to be that way. It's a compulsion. And that's exactly right. Addiction is is definitely riddled with compulsive behavior. This is a compulsive behavior. I must do this whether it's working or not, whether right. it's good for me or not. I must achieve this unrealistic goal and i measure myself to that and right. of course right. i'm never going to be good enough how can i ever feel good enough if what i'm setting up is this mm -hmm. unreal ideal right this idealized self that no one can be 
But nice. yet I think that's who I'm supposed to be. And at some point I dedicated my life to actualizing that possibility, to actualizing right. that concept. My even God, though we even though we never get there. It's it's like that's I mean, and I think we I think we said this last time, but I don't think you can repeat this one enough is is because and you've had these conversations with 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 people and clients before, too. It's like a perfectionist is not somebody who does things perfectly. A perfectionist is someone who is tortured because they believe that they're supposed to do everything perfectly and that to do something perfectly is 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 less is less than is less than okay it's like and the truth is you know as human beings our level of competence at anything whether we our level of confidence professionally as podcasters as therapists uh, but but as as friends to each other as, as spouses and you know it's like our level of competence is is affected every single day of our lives by more variables than we can possibly count. It's like, how, what kind of weather is it? How did I get enough sleep? And my wife and I getting along, you know, did, you know, that, that, that damn cat pissed me off yesterday. You know, it doesn't matter. There's, there's minute little details and stuff. We don't, our job is not to track all that stuff, but to respect ourselves, to understand. And this is the, the specifically Patrick, when you were talking before we started, I think about, we were talking about the, the concrete, ways of dealing with perfectionism is like it's about it's about self-respect and understanding that you know we do not control all of those variables we we and this goes back to the theme we always have which is response ability the ability to respond we we respond to how we are in the moment and if I'm having a, you know, if I'm having a, a bad day because I'm tired, if I'm, I, I, I always do, I call, do what I call surfing my depression, even with medication, it kind of comes in, in circles through, you know, rather than fight that and tell myself there's something wrong with me because I'm in, I can feel some of that depression. It's like whatever I'm doing, however I'm responding needs to incorporate that in how I'm dealing with myself so that I am responding with respect and compassion to ourselves. I promise you, if you guys listening who have any of this going on, if you want to be challenged for the rest of your life, learn that. It's, I mean, I promise you, you'll be very busy. I'm, you know, I'm six, I'm six, almost 68 years old and, and still working hard on it, working on it on a regular basis. I, I don't mean that to be discouraging people because I'm much better at it than I used to understand much more about that, but it's a day-to-day process. And that's what we want to do is get to where we can master, you know, treating ourselves with respect. I thought it was interesting in your book, Alan, how you referred to ideas of perfectionism as limited and self-centered. So in other yes. words, not that perfect, right? Right. That's right. Exactly. Well, look, at let's just build on, on some of the stuff we're talking about already. And even what you just said, Patrick. So, you know, the way I was starting to think about it is, is that one of the reasons that the 12 steps work so effectively is step one really poisons this well of perfectionism. Yes. It says mm-hmm. your whole way, your all your ideas in terms of who you think you're supposed to be, how you think life is supposed to be, what you think you should be able to do and handle are going to be deconstructed. You're going to, first of all, admit you're powerless over alcohol. You've been trying to control that your whole life, right? Or drugs, mm-hmm. whatever, if it's your addiction. And then the second part is, that your life has become unmanageable, that the whole way you've been approaching your life has created this unmanageability. So talk about a one-two punch, right? Right. Not only uh, is it powerless here, but the whole way that you're approaching this thing isn't going to work. 
that moment, see that moment of getting that, you know what, it's the problem. And I love how it's so simply stated in the big book. We come to the realization that our problems of our, are of our own making. Yeah. I mean, it's that simple line. Wow. So I've created my existence. Fritz Perls would say, yes, you have, talent. Mm-hmm, You've mm-hmm. created your existence. You create your symptoms. You produce this whole deal that you're struggling with. Now, that sounds like bad news at first. But like you said, Tom, it's also empowering. Because if I take responsibility for that, it means I can also be, I have the ability to respond to find another way of being in the world that works a lot better. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the gift of emotional sobriety that we're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, the, the thing that probably the line I repeat most with, with, with clients, I think, is everything is information. So that means, you know, that's, you know, that is, that is, that is a, uh, I think the technical term for that is on the, when you really are able to absorb and take in and accept that first step, uh, that is, yeah, I think it's called a shitload of information. That's, yeah. that's the term for it. It's like, it's a lot and it's, and it's a lot to process. And, and, it, and it gives us compassion for people who dig their unconsciously dig their heels in when they, when they start to, to look at that 12 step programs. And I'm not saying 12 step programs are the, the right thing for everybody because it you know, doesn't have to be, but, but whatever, whatever, whatever process you're going to go through, it's going to, it's going to include that humility on the front end that Alan is describing that the first right. step, the first step uh, in our opinion. The just, way that Bill said it, the time it's right on it's a shitload of information. Bill mm-hmm. says every instinct cries out against accepting our personal powerlessness. Right. Every instinct cries out against it. And the reason is, is the way I would say it from, from as a psychologist, my false self is going crazy that I'm even considering this. Because it means giving up the solution that I thought was the answer. Yeah. It it means surrendering this, what I've dedicated my whole life to creating. And so it is a tall order, right? What an order I can't go through with it. It's a tall order for us to have to do that. But it is so important to, I, I like this one author talks about the crack in the cosmic egg. It's so important to let that crack and the cracks in the Encanto and the magic mm-hmm. house that was built. Yeah. Literal important cracks there. Those yeah. cracks happen, man, and follow them. Now, I wanted to suggest a few exercises for people listening today, because this is back to the paradoxical nature of change. Sometimes we change these things, not by trying to become something we're not, just all of a sudden automatically accepting, okay, I'm not perfect. We can say those. Those words are easy to say. But to live them, it becomes another thing. My path to starting to get a hold of this stuff was to go the other way, is to sit down and give myself permission to be as outrageous as possible meaning to sit down and declare and demand how I'm supposed to be perfect and to just give voice to every one of those parts of my person that are, that are demanding that I, I, I need to be perfect this way. I need to be perfect like that. If I'm perfect, this is what's going to happen is to really, really take that voice that's inside of us and let it have 
free reign. And as you're being that, to listen to it, listen hear, to hear, I'm, I'm, Yeah, you're, we'll call that hear yourself out. You know, That's it's right. like sit down and say, OK, everybody who wants to come, all the committee, everybody who has an objection to this, come in. We're here to listen. That's right. And That's right. And I we're going to start that. with. I love that. that says, you know, I must be perfect. You know, I must be perfect this way. You know, being perfect means, I mean, all these kinds of things. Yeah. Do some sentence completion work around this. Mm -hmm. Being mm -hmm. perfect means, you know, I mm -hmm. must be perfect because, you know, mm -hmm. if I was perfect, I would finish that mm -hmm. sentence. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, create a few of your own. You know, yeah. go the, go the other way. Go with if, if I if I if I fail at being if I fail at perfecting fail this, at then yeah. then you're going to go right to your per, your your biggest fears. It's like absolutely go, go after all of this stuff mm -hmm. and write it down, put it down on a paper, because that's the other thing that happens. Not just listening to yourself do it, but when you write it down, you can even be a little more objective about it and start to mm -hmm. see it. When mm -hmm. I did this and I let myself I gave myself permission to be what what I called outrageous because I felt a lot of these things, but I was a closet perfectionist. I didn't want anybody to know about it. I didn't right. want you to because I would that. think less of you, right? Right, right. right. I do that. That's wrong. I mean, part of being perfect was to be perfect that's and not right. let anybody know about it. I mean, it was that's right. It was a crazy idea that I had. But give yourself permission to do this because as soon as you you see it. An amazing change is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now the other parts of you have an ability to come in and, and have something to say about this. And the part of you that's maybe even compassionate towards you, you know, because what does this all come back to? Acceptance. Mm -hmm. We talk about acceptance is the key over and over and over again. The change in that movie in Canto happened the minute people accepted themselves as they were and the grandmother accepted everybody as being just exactly who they were and not to have any expectation to be something else. It was that moment that that happened in the movie that the magic came back. Mm -hmm. all, and, and we repeat this a lot. All change begins with acceptance. That's something yeah. that I don't think I don't think I, I don't know that I I don't know if I didn't know that before, but I certainly didn't know that sentence before I, that, that I, I was talking with you and specifically also with Roger on Thursday night. It's like like and and as his in his work with Nathaniel Brandon, it's like like uh, all change begins with acceptance has really it's, it's really a, a perception, a perspective changer for me. It has been. Uh, it's one of one of if I had to list the top five things, I think that I have really seen differently uh, from a different angle. Well, as we've been doing the emotional sobriety thing through on the Thursday group and through the podcast, it would be that's that's one of the, the top five. Definitely. It's like and, and like even acceptance goes to this thing of accepting, first of all, that you are demanding yourself to be perfect. See, it even mm -hmm. works that way. You accept that. Then it opens the door to accept yourself as you are. I mean, this is this is the the mystery and the magic of recovery, because it's magical what happens here. It really is. Well, you just said, but let's go back to something you just said, because it's so important that when you're practicing acceptance, part of that acceptance is going to include the full acceptance that you are demanding 
these this these unrealistic things of yourself that that we have compassion for that as well because see that's there's always that part of us that wants to come or for me anyway there's always that part that wants to come in and make something wrong about something bad about me something wrong in a really negative way and so so then i could beat myself up for trying to you know but for for demanding perfection it's like but what you do is you take it that that additional level into it farther down to full acceptance which is oh yeah that guy over there yeah he demands that I be perfect, you know, yeah. you know, yeah, that's right. He, he, he's sitting over there by the guy that thinks I have to drink tequila all the time. It's like, you know, they, 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 oh, they're they good think friends. That. Those two they're guys good, are really good friends, oh. by the way. They are so good friends. <laughs> every time cop, I've written, bad cop. yeah, I know every time I've written down uh, my perfectionist demands, they're just ridiculous, preposterous. It's like if I saw somebody else write that, I would uh, chastise them for being so hard, hard on themselves, you know? Right. right. Well, and then we do it to ourselves all the time. And and, yep. and see, that's what happens with this stuff is that it's we do become habituated. It means we don't even experience what it means because we're so used to doing it to ourselves. Right. It becomes so automatic, these things. And, you know, if nothing else, I hope that you hear when we're doing these shows or even on Thursday night, it's pause and take a look at what you're doing in your life. Really just pause and try to get honest with yourself because that's where this stuff starts to change. Now, you know, it's funny you were saying this, you know, next week um, we're going to be, you know, I was going to talk to you guys about recording on a different day because on Sunday I'm doing that the 10 days of George Washington's campaign. Starting oh, yeah. You know, starting with crossing the Delaware on Christmas Day to attack the the uh, German mercenaries, the Hessians in um, Trenton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then the 10 days of the campaign that followed that, that really were the pivotal point of the Revolutionary War. It's what, you know, gave birth to our country, you know, as we know it today. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting is I'm digging into this history is that one of the turning points in Washington's a way of approaching this is he had to accept that dealing with an army that's coming from people committed to freedom is very different than governing an army where everybody falls in line because they're they're supposed to fall in line and follow the orders. Mm-hmm. And that when you're dealing with volunteers like he was dealing with and not professional soldiers, they're there because they want to be there and they want to have a voice in this whole thing. And you can't just command them and say, you will do this because I'm telling you to do this. Right. There has to be a respect for their individuality, mm-hmm. which the British soldiers didn't have. The German mercenaries didn't have. They were told what to do by the commanders and they listened. And in the American army, it was an equal thing. Yes, we had we had people that were leading us, but we had a say in what they were doing, too. And what, what we thought was the right thing. It's such an interesting thing is that as he accepted that this is the way it was instead of how he thought it was supposed to be, he became a better leader. Just fascinating how acceptance is so 
powerful, right? In any area of our life and in, in our history, mm-hmm. in our personal histories, even in the Disney movie and Canto. So if you, mm-hmm. another recommendation, I'm recommending mm-hmm. movies. I recommend mm-hmm. Coda, you know, the movie Children of mm-hmm. Deaf Adults, also mm-hmm. Coda, the sign mm-hmm. and music. It's an incredible mm-hmm. independent film that may win best film this year. Mm-hmm. Watch it. It's powerful. It'll mm-hmm. give you a peek into family dynamics. And now go see Encanto. Even if you don't have kids. So does that mean uh, when we next gather, uh, we'll be talking about forgiveness? Because that's the subject of the chapter uh, next in your book. Well, I think that'll be fitting for us to do that. And And, if we forget, I think we can forgive ourselves. Yes, that's right. Thank you for the movie description. It was it was my favorite, favorite part uh, right after the part that you actually personally knew your turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Tend your life. Tinge your myth Cultivate your narrative With whomever you're with Then with glass in hand And children on one knee Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me It ain't a crime To be a human Never be ashamed To be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on me Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me (laughs) 